podcast. This is a podcast focused on lessons learned via the musician's backstory, as well as building successful careers in the business. My name is Allison M., and I'll be interviewing artists and industry experts and offering insights based on events Wisconsin Music Ventures has produced. Let's get down to business. On this episode today, we have Bree Noble here. Not quite in the studio, but remotely. Uh, I'm in the studio, and she is the the music marketing and business coach. Uh, she's a founder of uh, the Profitable Musician, and she's got a lot of other projects under her belt. So, uh, welcome, Bree. Thanks for being here. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. So tell me, tell me everything you do, because I know that's not everything. Are you sure you want that? Yeah. <laughs> that's why you're on. All right. Okay. Um, Yeah, it's been kind of a twisty, turny path for me. Um, So just to give you a little bit of background of like how how I ended up here, uh, I I was a musician forever. And then when I went to college, I decided I also loved the business side of music. So I had a double degree in music and business. I ended up working as a director of finance at an opera company of all places. Um, Nice. And I love working there because I love working with artists and stuff. And and I always was interested in, in arts management. Uh, but eventually I decided, well, I started having kids and I'm like, I I need to like cut back on work. And so I ended up, uh, cutting back on my work there, uh, working a lot from home and also trying to build my own music career. Cause that was something that I had wanted to do for years. And as I was doing that, I, you know, discovered, first of all, that I didn't know what the heck I was doing. You know, I didn't have any knowledge of how to build a music career. I was kind of stuck in that old model and I was trying to, you know, get attention from labels and decision makers and all the things that we think we're supposed to do in our early years. And once I finally started really leaning into the small business side of it and being an entrepreneur and building my career from the ground up in my local area and with people that I know and expanding circles out and, you know, just building like any small business would, I started getting traction. And so after several years, I was like, oh gosh, you know, I wish I had known this stuff when I was starting out. So I decided to start helping other musicians learn how to do these things. So in the meantime, while I was growing my career as a musician, I also had met just tons of amazing female artists out there. And I wondered, well, why don't I hear their music anywhere? Like, they're so great. Why am I not hearing these people? And when I would listen to the radio or Sirius XM, I'd be like 80, if not 90% of what I'm hearing are men. What's the deal? Mm -hmm. So I started to start a platform to elevate women. And it was called Women of Substance. I started it back in 2007 when I was in the midst of my uh, musician career And it was an online radio station back then. But as time went on, I started to see, wow, podcasting is really the way that things are going. Online radio is kind of stagnant. And so I moved it into a podcast, which is still today. So that was Women of Substance Radio. And we basically play music by female artists or female-fronted bands in all genres to really put the spotlight on great music by women. So that's one thing that I do and I've been doing for a long time and that kind of blossomed into what I do for musicians because I had built up this huge list and connection with tons of female artists 
And I was seeing that they really needed help on the business and marketing side. I would hear their music and think, this is amazing. How come not enough, not many more people know about this? Why am I the only one playing this music? So that's when I started helping musicians. I started the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast, and I started my Female Musician Academy, really leaning into helping female artists. Um, and so that started in 2015. Mm-hmm. And then along the way, as I you know, love to talk about uh, musicians making money and profitability and all of that business stuff, I did a, a summit, an online summit in 2018 and 2019 called the Profitable Musician Summit. And people really love that, that caught on. And that's what made me actually eventually change my brand into the profitable musician, because my goal is to help musicians of all types, uh, whether you're part-time hobbyist, or you are wanting to be full-time and you're not there yet, or you're full-time and you want to make more money. Mm -hmm. I want to help you make money so you can keep making music. And even if you're a part-time hobbyist, we all know that music is an expensive hobby. Mm-hmm. And so we need to be making some money in order to keep doing what we love and keep creating more amazing music in the world. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how I became profitable musician. And, um, you know, I've created courses and things along the way to help musicians become more profitable. And I do still have my female musician Academy, uh, six years later. So those I think are all the things that I do, um, <laughs> not all of them, but that's quite a lot, but good for you. And so you've been doing podcasting since pretty early in the podcast uh, world. I mean, so and you've had, so it started off with the Women of Substance podcast. Uh, how long have you had that now? That I transitioned to a podcast in, I think it was November, 2014. Okay. And then pretty soon after that, I think it was April, 2015, I released the Female Entrepreneur Musician podcast. So I've been pretty entrenched in the podcast space for almost seven years mm-hmm. and um, just absolutely love podcasting. It's it's a natural fit for me. When I was a musician, I was also a speaker. So I had a combined mm-hmm. kind of um, signature concert that I would do where I would do speaking and talk about my life and life lessons and stories and things that went along with my music. And so it really transitioned me very well into podcasting because I do love to talk. Yeah, that's perfect. This is great. Are you still doing anything um, musically right now? Or is it mostly sort of uh, from the business perspective? It's mostly helping musicians. I am so busy doing this. Plus, yeah. you have enough going on. And yeah, um, I do. You know, I do stuff when I get called. So I think you know, yeah. a month ago or so, I I did you know I did a gig when someone called me and and um, you know I had word of mouth and connections and stuff. But yeah. I don't go pursuing stuff. And of course, you know, since right before COVID, I moved to Southern California, back to Southern California. So I don't really have a lot of connections here. Sure. And then COVID happened, you know, so I haven't been pursuing that kind of stuff. I've always done um, worship leading and stuff at church. That's mm-hmm. always kind of been my outlet to make sure that I keep up, up my, you know, keyboard playing and mm-hmm. my singing. And yeah, I was singing yesterday and I was like, wow, my mm-hmm. throat hurts. Clearly I have not been singing for a while. So I need to <laughs> get back into that. And I do do some um, session work from home when it comes my way, as far as like vocal demos and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Good for you. Uh, so at, at what age were you deciding to go into music and starting music? I'd say in high school, I was in the choirs in high, I was in like 
four different choirs in high school and also a women's barbershop quartet. And I did a bunch of solo competitions and I just loved it. I was very much like living everything music then. And I knew that I wanted to go to college for music. And when I went to college, I was able to be in this traveling ensemble that we had. Um, I went to a Christian college, so it was partly a ministry thing, but also it was to promote the college. Mm -hmm. So we were out at Westmont College in Santa Barbara. So we were out every, at least every other weekend. And we'd go on usually one like week long trip uh, per year, like during spring break and go out, you know, a little further out, but we would, we would go all weekend and go to like three or four different locations, whether it was, you know, churches or rescue missions, or we've been to juvenile halls and, you know, all kinds of places just to, um, you know, get the word out about, both the message and the college. Mm -hmm. And I got so much experience doing that. We recorded three albums when I was in that group. And um, I got so much on stage experience and and talking in front of people that I'm sure I would never be where I am today, as far as being able to be comfortable talking on stage, talking on mic or anything, if I hadn't have had all that experience when I was Mm -hmm. younger. Nice. And uh, so you grew up primarily knowing that you wanted to be a singer, uh, but you also are a keyboardist as well? Yeah, I played piano since I was six. So, I mean, I never wanted to be a great piano player. I just wanted to be able to accompany myself. So, and I, I, I went through that journey of like, I can't possibly accompany myself. I can't sing and play at the same time. Like I was convinced that that was not possible for me. But when I finally was like, if I don't learn to do this, I'm going to have to rely on a band all the time. Mm-hmm. And then I can't tour because all my band members had day jobs. And so finally, I just like knuckled it. And I was like, I'm going to spend a month just every day practicing for like two hours until I can sing and play at the same time. And I was yeah. able to do it, but I was so unsure. I was so convinced it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. I'm with you on that. And I, uh, I, I'm do similar things and actually church music too. We haven't really talked about this before, but, um, but yeah, singing and playing piano. And I grew up, you know, probably similar to you, you know, being classically trained in piano. Is that how the route that you were going? Yeah. Yeah. And then at a certain point, um, I, when I did some of the church music, it was more like praise band kind of stuff. And I, I learned all about lead sheets for the first time. And uh-huh. I'm like, oh, well, this opens up a whole new world for me because suddenly it was easy to sing and play at the same time. I don't know. Well, yeah, because you can totally improvise yeah. and do whatever, you know, as long as you're staying on the right chord, Yeah, which makes it it's so much easier. And that is very true. Um, but your classical I, piano I, teacher is never going to show you that. No, <laughs> not, because that's the lazy man's right. way, right? Right. Yeah, I, I think for me, um, I didn't really use lead sheets until after I left school and I started being in church bands and stuff. But because of my extensive music theory training in school, sure. it was just super easy for me to transition to lead sheets. I was like, oh, this makes total sense. Yeah, I get yeah, it. yeah, good for you. Yeah, awesome. And so and when you studied music in college, what, what exactly were you going there for? Uh, I was going there for vocal performance. At one point I thought I was going to do teaching and I just decided that wasn't for me. I, which is crazy because here I am like teaching marketing and business all the time. Yeah. Um, but I just decided I didn't want to teach voice and I didn't want to conduct and I didn't want to be an elementary school teacher. I, I did take some classes in those areas and I'm like, no, this really isn't for me. Yeah. I knew I wanted to perform. Um, but I, I guess I really didn't know back then 
that I do have the heart of the teacher. And I like actually just absolutely love teaching right now, as far as teaching marketing and business to musicians. I love that. Yeah. But I just don't, I don't really feel like I want to teach voice for whatever reason. I think I'm afraid I'm going to damage someone's voice. (laughs) Because I had friends from high school that went off to these fancy schools, you know, and they came back and they're like, I think that this voice, this like famous voice teacher damaged my voice. Yeah. I don't want to do that to anyone. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. And uh, yeah, I, I was kind of similar too. And I, you know, I wasn't quite sure what direction I was going to go to um, in, in music school and um, who knows, do I really still know? Um, but uh, you know, I remember trying to teach a little voice at one time and, you know, I think the struggle for me and I'll, I'll get back to talking more about you shortly, but, <laughs> but the struggle for me was like the, the voice is an internal instrument, right? It's really difficult to direct people to. That's right. You can't see what they're doing. Yeah. Did they, did they actually like lower right. their larynx or whatever, right. or, you know, direct the air up into the, you know, the resonating cavity, like you can't see what they're doing. Exactly. Or much less describe it very well in a way that they can understand. And it's, it's such a different animal than like, you know, playing piano and instructing on that. It's very obvious what people are doing. Yeah. Um, I agree. That's probably why I didn't like it. (laughs) Sounds good. But uh, yeah. So in your music school, uh, did you ever uh, have business courses along the way? No, <laughs> like uh, it, it was, yeah, it, it, I really resonate with a lot of the people that are my age that came out of school with an amazing music ability and no sense of how to use it. Like no yeah. business sense, like even of how to get a job as a musician, you know, how to right. get gigs, yeah. how to anything, exactly, how to promote yourself. Like I learned zero because I went to a liberal arts school and that really wasn't their focus, but I still say, you know, a lot of my friends went to conservatory and they didn't learn that stuff either. Right. I do think that this has really changed in the last 10 years and, and musicians are getting so much more of a practical education on what they can do with this after school. And I'm really thankful for that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to some extent it might be because of people like you and, and others who have, the information out there in a way where, you know, you can find it if you don't have to go to a university to learn it. Um, so their their competition is like, you know, free podcasts and, and books and ebooks and, and things like that. So it's either they need to figure out how to bring it into their system or they're not going to have the students um, that, you know, they they're, they're going to lose students to the Internet or, you know, podcasts. Um, I agree because in 2015, when I released the Academy, there really wasn't a lot out there, mm-hmm. you know, for musicians. Now there is a lot more online to help musicians. And like you said, a lot of podcasts and books and things. Um, and I do know that, you know, books like, um, how to make it in the new music business mm-hmm. by our right. understand are being adopted by a lot of colleges yeah. and stuff. And that's great. Good, good. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so what was it? What was the moment like when you decided that uh, you needed to really assist women uh, get, you know, get their own business in order? I think it was just really, you know, you start to get the same questions over and over again, or you start to see the same patterns. And I was seeing this with a lot of the people that I worked with, with women of substance. What are some of those questions? Yeah. 
gosh, they would be making album after album of fantastic music, but not like no one, no one knew it. Or like mm -hmm. I would, one thing I would notice is I would always research people before I'd put them on the podcast. I just do a little blurb about each artist, you know, maybe 15 seconds long. And I would look them up. I couldn't find them anywhere on the internet. Like they had not even social media, they had no website. They had, so I'm like, this is a problem. And, mm -hmm. or I would be like looking them up and I would, I couldn't see that they had had any other press or any other podcast or been on any radio stations. And I'm like, why not? Like, if I think this is good enough, mm -hmm. why aren't they getting out there to more people? So uh, kind of from my end going, wow, like if I can't find anything on this artist, there's a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, and then also just seeing and hearing from them, they would say things to me like, oh, I don't have a Facebook page or I don't have a website because, you know, my label says they're going to do that for me or, mm. you know, I'm waiting for, you know, someone to manage me so they can handle that stuff. And I'm like, no, you're going to be waiting forever. Right. You know, or you're going to pick someone that's going to take advantage of you. You've got to know your own stuff and you've got to be, even if you are hiring people out to do the tech work that you don't want to do, like your website and stuff. You have to know what they're doing. Like I also see so many artists that were like, oh, I hired someone to build me this website, but I can't do anything. If I want to do anything on there, I have to ask them if I want to add a gig date, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm like, that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Yes. I, we work with some that are still like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is so crazy. Um, it, but it's true. And so at that point in time, when you first started, were there sites like Banzoogle around where, where it's fairly easy or what, what were people using at that point in time for websites? Um, yeah, I think not enough people knew about Banzoogle. Mm -hmm. So I'm a, I'm a big, I'm a affiliate and a big proponent of Banzoogle mm -hmm. and I love them and I have a great relationship with them. I write articles for them and I've mm -hmm. even spoken at conferences um, where they, you know, they sponsored me yeah, and everything. they're great for musicians. So I love them. Um, and I think they started, what, early 2000s? Um, okay. But by the time I was, I, I think I had maybe heard of them by 2007, 2006. Um, but I don't think they would had really infiltrated the market. I did start to talk to them as I started to get all these people asking, you know, telling me they don't have websites and me realizing they don't have them. I did reach out to them and I was like, I would love to, you know, promote you guys to all these artists. And so I did develop a relationship with them pretty early, I think maybe as early as 2013. Mm -hmm. um, and just starting to let artists know about this resource because it is so much easier Yeah. than things like, I mean, I would, I would hear of artists that had like custom built websites mm -hmm. or, um, you know, where they built in like the, the payment you know, it was, it was super expensive back then to have all this merchant, you know, back end merchant area and your website and stuff. Um, and then, and of course you don't have the tools that are made for musicians. You have mm -hmm. to build every, every single thing that you wanted to do, like have a player on your site and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think people were using WordPress, but it was really kind of messy mm -hmm. <laughs> and they had to cobble together all of these plugins or they would try to use things like Wix or Squarespace that aren't really made for musicians. Right. So yeah, that's why I just tell people just just go with Bandzoogle. It's so, it's so easier. And they have like resources that they put together for musicians yep. too. 
in addition to just being, you know, user friendly for musicians. So, yep. yeah, but yeah, I just, I wonder what people were doing back then and, and why it seems so hard for them. You know, I'll tell you what I had. What's I that? had a, I had a host baby website, host which of course baby. now has, has merged with Banzoogle because ah. Banzoogle like took up all their customers that they abandoned because they got rid of host baby. Okay. Um, but yeah, I totally had a host baby website. I had a host baby that had, they had something called list baby, which was like the mailing list. This is back when I was a musician. Okay. And I was building my list. And yeah, I had, I had my entire list in List Baby and I had my website on Host Baby. And it was built for musicians. Yeah. It, like way more than anything else because it came from CD Baby, Got right? It. So, um, and it did integrate directly with CD Baby. So you could have your, you know, stuff for sale and everything. So there was that, but they kind of went in a different direction and didn't continue making websites or updating that Got platform. It. And they did finally abandon it last year. Got it. Interesting. Huh. Some trivia that I wasn't aware of. This is fascinating. <laughs> so, and then you're a big um, proponent and user of e-newsletters and um, I've, I've been getting your e-newsletters. I know. I think I recently discovered this since um, you were on my friend Ryan Carella's uh, uh, podcast and uh, that was a couple years ago, I think is what you determined. Um, but uh, yeah, so you are, are really active with the e-newsletters. Can you talk talk just a little bit about what that's done for you, either as a musician and uh, now as a podcaster? For sure. Yeah. I mean, I am a huge proponent for it at, for musicians. Mm -hmm. I Back in the day when I was just building as a musician, I had gotten up to, I think, a, about 1,250 people on my list which was a lot for someone who was just gathering stuff mm -hmm. locally. Like I wasn't even building it on the internet back then. It was all local gigs and stuff. Um, maybe a few people I met That's on great. MySpace. You know, oh, MySpace. Um, but yeah, I, I got so many gigs because of my newsletter, even though I was only really sending it out maybe once a month, maybe I would send it a few more times a month if something was happening, like I had an album coming out or, and I got an award or something like that. Mm -hmm. But just being in front of people at the right time and being top of mind, I've got so many gigs because of that. Because when they were, when there was someone on my list that like, maybe they had a friend that was looking for entertainment for their, you know, nonprofit event that they were running, or, you know, a lot of the people with which I booked, especially churches were on my list. Mm -hmm. And then they would think of me, oh, I have to find someone for this Christmas program. Oh, you know, of course, Bree Noble, she hasn't done a Christmas program for mm -hmm. us yet. Uh, be just because I was having a relationship with them and being in front of them with my newsletter. So as a musician, that was how, how I used it. Mm -hmm. um, as a business owner now and my, mus you know, working with musicians, I just... I have definitely, you know, I want to give them value mm -hmm. and I give, and I make sure that they know, you know, what the value is that we've got out there for them. So like every Friday I do a, a kind of a roundup newsletter and I put all of our podcast episodes in there because I have two podcasts, the female entrepreneur musician and the profitable musician. And I make sure that they know, you know, these were our guests. This is what we talked about. And it really helps them connect with the information that they want because, you know, some of them aren't interested in, in subject A, but they're interested in subject B. Mm -hmm. So I do, I've kind of focused on how can musicians make money across the board. And I know that every single income stream I'm talking about is not for everyone. 
Mm-hmm. But I think people on my list know that like, I'm going to hang around because there is going to be something that's going to come up for me. That's going to fit my situation mm-hmm. perfectly. Mm-hmm. And so I try, I try to, I try to, um, serve every corner of my audience. Mm-hmm. You know, I try to like at least once a year have something to help guitarists or vocalists or songwriters. And a lot of what I talk about is about marketing and business, but I still, I know there's these people in my audience that want to learn these things or music licensing, things like that, mm-hmm. that are not things that I teach. And that's where I bring in other experts sure. to help people in my audience uh, in the areas they want to learn about. That's awesome. What are some of the bigger changes you've seen in the industry since you started podcasting? Hmm. In the podcasting industry? Or just in the music music industry in general? Well, I think it's definitely more crowded. There's a lot more people. Um, That being said, there's a lot more people, like I just mentioned, that are niche specific. So when I first started, there was nobody talking about music licensing, nobody talking about specifically about, you know, um, like learning voice online or learning guitar online or any of those things, uh, songwriting groups online. There just wasn't a lot of that. Mm -hmm. And so now I think that there's, if you want to learn anything in the music industry, there's something for you that you can learn online. You don't have to go to school. You don't have to even go to a local group. Um, There is something for everyone now. And people have really, you know, I think of, of friends of mine, like Chris Bradley, who opened a course about producing from home Mm -hmm. and that those things weren't around at all right. when I started in 2014, 2015, it was pretty much a more of the, it's kind of the tail end of the old school music industry. And I think now everything is so DIY focused in a very beneficial way. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and, you know, the barriers to entry for musicians across the board are so much lower than they used to be. Do you think it's easier to be a musician now? I do. I do. I think 10 years ago, I think that the, you know, the opportunities of the internet kind of allowed anyone to put their music out there. And there was a lot of just noise and bad music. Mm -hmm. And I think those people have been weeded out now. And and now I, I just think that it's offering a lot more opportunity to the people that are really serious and want to want to really pursue it and have good quality product Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for sure yeah and so what are some of the the most uh, notable guests that you've had on your podcasts could be some of your favorites or some of the most interesting that you might suggest that people check into or or uh, just memorable moments yeah. Um, I mean, I have a ton of industry people on my yeah. podcast. So if, like I said in a minute ago, like if you have something you want to learn, if you want to learn how to, you know, do better with your bookings, or you want to learn how to music, let you license your music or any of those very specific topics, I've got episodes on all of those. And I've brought in the industry experts on them. Um, but some of the people that I really some of the episodes that have been really good are have been people who are not, you know, your t- what you typically think of as um, 
the musician, like they're older, they have more of a, a different path for mm-hmm. the music career. So for example, um, someone like Jennifer, Jennifer McGill, who is, um, she was on Disney. She was on like, um, what is that called? A Mickey Mouse Club with mm-hmm. Brittany and all those people, Christina and all of them. And her career did not go the direction of theirs because she wasn't, you know, she wasn't camera beautiful. She wasn't, she just didn't have whatever the record labels wanted. Right. And so she really went through a a tough period like that, where she didn't get to pursue her music career in the way that she wanted to. But after she went through kind of this experience of like understanding herself and really coming into her own, she released her first solo album when she was 40 and she finally feels like, you know, I am who I'm supposed to be. And I am presenting myself in a way that feels super authentic to me and not the way that some record label is trying to, you know, mold me or whatever. Mm. And so that, that I think is a really, a really great episode. I've had uh, an episode more on like just talking about I keep coming back to this age age subject because I think for women it really is a big one absolutely a lot of people that I've talked to have been told like after 30 you may as well just be a songwriter Mm -hmm. because you're not going to have a performing career which is ridiculous because Mm -hmm. I have I have academy members in their 70s right now that Mm -hmm. are putting out music and they have a fan base and they're thriving and they're certainly not playing to stadiums, but I think once you, once you become 30 to 40, you become a lot more realistic about what your music career. I know I did. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm just happy that I can, you know, play for, for churches and they enjoy it and they want to buy my music and they want to support me. Like that is great. That's what I, that is everything that I want as a musician but mm-hmm. that wasn't what I wanted in my twenties, you know? So I do bring a lot of guests in who talk about, you know, how you can have a thriving career when you're in your fifties and mm-hmm. your sixties. Um, so I had one with Kayla Brooke about that. Uh, I think it was back this last, maybe it was a year ago, a year ago, June, um, really good episode, popular episode about that. Um, I brought in somebody that I always admired, Judith Hill, who was, if you watch that show, um, I never remember the name. Is it 20 Feet from Stardom? I think is the name of it. About backup singers in, oh, in kind cool. of the 70s. I haven't heard of that, but it sounds fascinating. Oh my gosh, it's so good. You should watch it. Yeah, it's a what channel? Uh, I think it's on Netflix. Okay, got it. It's a documentary about backup singers that have sung for you know the most famous people mm-hmm. like she for example has sung for stevie wonder she was a backup singer on michael jackson's final tour which actually never happened but she got to perform mm-hmm. with him i mean like practice with him and um you know a ton of other people that you would recognize and then she got to be on the voice in one of the early seasons because she wanted to you know step out into the spotlight and become a solo artist and she, you know, has developed a, a great fan base as a solo artist, wow. but she has all these amazing credits, you know, of things yeah. that people have worked with in the past. And I was like, you know, you could have just kept doing that, right? You had a thriving career. You were making good money. You were having amazing experiences. 
And she's like, yeah. And I, I could have just kept going on like that totally, but I had to like give it up in order to focus on my own career. And that was a hard choice because she had all these amazing experiences with these artists. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And do do you have any um, topics that you particularly like to cover and talk about uh, from your own perspective and from your own work? Yeah, I, I love to talk about things like time management and goal setting. I love to talk about like money mindset because yeah. I think that's something that trips up musicians a lot. Mm. And I know for me, I've been on my own journey with money mindset um, because it can it can really mess with you. Yeah. What are your favorite tips from that kind of thing? Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, I think with money mindset, tips tips and, and uh, pithy sayings and all that, they can't go very far. You have to do the inner work. Mm-hmm. So I, I always tell people, go read the, um, you are a badass at making money. That was a really great book for me to kind of open up my mind to different ways of looking at money. Mm-hmm. Cause it's so easy to, especially as a musician to come out money, you know, with a lack mindset and feel like you're always just you know, struggling, (laughs) struggling to have money. And then when you actually get the money, it's really easy to either just like hoard it or the opposite, just let it slip through your fingers because you're not used to managing money. You know, there's so many things around money that, that can mess you up, especially as far as like a lot of musicians that I work with, they don't even like to tell people that their merch table is there during their, during their concert, because Mm -hmm. they're so uncomfortable just even mentioning anything related to money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I try to get them to understand that money itself has no value. Like it, it is, it's only valued in the value that we put on it. And it, it is a measure of value, but a dollar might mean something way more to one person versus another person would just like throw it in the trash. Cause it's not a big deal. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So we place so much value on the money itself, but money is actually just a tool and it's a measure of value that you put in something. I mean, the old days we didn't have money. People were just trading, you know, I'll give mm-hmm. you this sheep and you give me this, you know, the barter uh, system, yeah. I don't know, wood or something, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So we let money have so much power over us. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. And I've, mentioned this to some musicians too. And it's, I think it goes along with what you're saying. Like people are at your shows because they want to follow you. Um, they want to have more ways to support you and you just have to let them know how. Um, That's right. <laughs> so they, yeah, they will gladly buy your stuff if, if you tell them how. <laughs> um, and it's, it's just so simple, but you just have to climb out of that mentality of, um, you know, it's, you know, just, just shake yourself of that. Um, which which is hard, which is not easy for everyone, but but people do want to support you, um, whether you realize it or are comfortable with that or not. So, yep, yeah, for sure. yeah. And what other um, tips or, or lessons have you learned along the way from your own work? Um, I've definitely learned that relationships are a big part of making progress. Yeah, like I. With my podcast and with my summits, I have built so many relationships that have allowed me to expand my business in ways I never could have imagined. Yeah. 
That is and so you can't important. go into relationships thinking that way, right? You've mm-hmm. got to go into them thinking like, how can I serve this person? I just really want to learn from them. I want to get to know them. And, you know, maybe down the road, a partnership will appear. You know, I, I did a, I'm doing a partnership right now in a course with someone that I've known casually and followed over the internet for the past two years. Mm-hmm. I just kind of watched her because I really, I liked her angle. I liked her energy, all that. And so I would like read her newsletter every week and like, oh, I really, this is really cool. I Mm -hmm. like the way she's approaching this. I would sometimes go to her live streams, you know, and over time we developed not like a really strong relationship, but like a, you know, we understand each other kind of relationship. We would talk every once in a while. Um, But then when, when something presented itself, I was like, Hey, this might be a really cool partnership. What do you think? And it ended up working out. We're working together now and it's, it's going really well, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. I would never have just jumped into that. Right. I was literally not stalking her, but you know, Mm -hmm. I was watching what she was doing Mm -hmm. for the past two years to see like, is this a person I would want to align myself with? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that that is important, you know, whether you're bringing people into your band, I think some people just take people off the street, Ooh, you know, into their point. band without even thinking about like, is that, does this person have, um, you know, aligned values with me? Are they going to try to screw me over? You know, yeah. it's not about just if they're a good bass player. Yes. I'm so glad you said that because yeah, these relationship values are yeah, not just for business, not just for, for, you know, the behind the scenes stuff. It's for, yeah, performance as well. Um, because, yeah, think about it. I mean, yeah, you need more than just a, a musician. You need, um, you know, you're, you're going to be working together. You're going to be traveling together in some cases. Like you need to be able right. to Are they going to show up on time? Mm-hmm. Are they going to do their part of the work? Are they going to, you know, are they going to go out and stay out till all hours of the morning when they actually need to be on, you know, for a radio interview at 8 a.m., you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you going to be having to babysit them the whole time? Is that going to drive you right. nuts? Some people like doing that. Some people don't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, I've heard someone uh, recommend, you know, putting together a job description for your band member. It's not a bad idea because that will help you weed out people right away. Um, but that's a kind of a separate subject. <laughs> but but what I think it relates though, because I was talking about relationships yes. in, that I've learned in my business, and I do think that musicians sometimes don't think about the implications of anyone that they bring into their world when it comes to, you know, business. I mean, you as a musician, you are running a business. Right. Absolutely. And, uh, and those people in your group are your public face. So, um, beyond just working well together, you want them to represent you well. Um, and they're representing you whether you realize it or not, like, you That's know, right. when they're there at the event and when they're elsewhere. So <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I'm actually really glad that you, you brought that up. Cause I don't know that we've really talked about that before, but, um, yeah, their social media, their everything, mm-hmm. um, their, how they act in other gigs, you know, um, that's, that's your band. That's your, you know, you hired them. That is, Especially in the age of social media, if they, you know, put stuff up there that is like against your values Mm -hmm. 
as a band or as a brand, that's not going to work because people will find that and then they will question you. Why are you working with this person? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Really great thoughts there. Uh, what, what advice do you have for the musician looking to get started right now? My biggest advice is to get into a community of people that can mentor you because I know for me, when I was starting out and I was, I felt very isolated. Like I was the only one trying to do it in my area. People didn't get what I was doing. They were like, Oh, what a fun hobby. I'm like, no, I want to make money with this. Mm -hmm. And I, the first time that I felt like I had people that understood me and I could actually make some progress is I found someone who had was actually came to my church and was doing the kind of performance that I wanted to do. And I went up to her afterward and I'm like, I love what you're doing. I would love to learn a little bit from you. You know, can I connect with you? And she's like, yeah. And in fact, actually I'm putting together this group of women that are doing, you know, the same kind of performing would you be interested? Here's a link that you can go apply. And so I did that and I became a part of that. And it was a game changer for sure, because those people were out there doing what I wanted to do. And they were in the midst of it. Like they could give me advice about some of the things that hold you back that are like the dumbest things, right? Like, mm -hmm. how can I make my, how can I make my merch table look better? <laughs> Mm. You know, like the, these things that I was just like wrestling with that, what could I do for not very much money that could make my merch table way better and things like that. And I learned from them and, and booking tips and, you know, how to have the money conversation when you're on a booking call. Like I felt super uncomfortable about that and I didn't even know how to broach it, you know, and, mm -hmm. and they'd been doing it so they could help me. So I would say, that is the reason I started the Academy to begin with, because that was what really propelled me to be able to move forward in my career. And I wanted that for other artists. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I would say get into a community, whether it's local, whether you have like a few musicians that get together and just talk shop, uh, whether it's online. Um, I, I have a free community on Facebook. It's a lot, it's big. So it's not going to have that same feel, but if you are only able to do free, it's the female indie musician community on Facebook. Um, but then of course, if, if you really want to get that mentoring from me and my team and, and on live Zooms and everything, that's, that's what the Academy is for. Got it. Got it. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing about that. And I'll ask you towards the end one more time um, how to, how we can find out more, but yeah, great, great advice there. And um what do you think, um, if there's anything that, that women could do more of to really um, further their careers that maybe, maybe men kind of one-up us on? <laughs> is, there, is there anything we could work on? Get on video. Yeah. Get on video. Um, I think women struggle with that more hmm. because I know I do. Like, I, I worry about going on video without makeup or, you know, my hair pulled up or, you know, not basically the things that I consider my brand. Like, this is weird, but like, I feel like my hair is part of my brand. Like it's very recognizable mm -hmm. and I'm actually afraid to go on video when my hair is pulled back. So I'm like, well, I don't look like myself, <laughs> you know? So we have all these hangups 
And even I've been working through those. I worked through a lot of them by doing 18 months of Facebook lives because, you know, I had to show right. up however I showed up and that kind of thing. And now I'm working through it on, on doing more casual Instagram stories. It, it just, Try if you can fire. do that, <laughs> I think you will, you will, you will get over all your hangups about being on video. And I think you need to do that because we're not going backwards when it comes to this. Like, like yes, podcasts are popular, but YouTube is much better search engine than podcasts. And if you want to, to be found, you really want to be on YouTube. You want to be doing videos to connect with people on social media instead of just putting out posts. Videos are just so much more of a connector. Mm -hmm. For sure. No, really, really good stuff there too. And it's so interesting because people can like go on stage, no problem. Yes. Right. It's like the easiest thing is to go on stage and perform, but get in, put, put a camera there and they like freak out. Yeah. Well, it's, it's that, um, you know, video could be forever. Yeah. Right. You know, right. so the concert, you know, it's on stage. So, you know, that can be forgotten, you know, uh, that's just a moment, but if the moment is on camera or video, then, then, uh, yeah, that could be forever for whoever, True. who knows who's going to download that. And that's, uh, you know, or, or record with their own phone camera or whatever. So, um, yeah, I think that's, I don't know, for me, that would be, that is the hesitancy, but, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's what I would surmise anyways. Um, I would say, you know, from my experience, you know, there will be those people that judge you. I've definitely had these like, you know, hater comments that are like, your hair looks like it has split ends. You should get a haircut before you go on. <laughs> really? On stupid stuff right especially when you do facebook ads oh, but okay. there are a multitude of more people that are like wow she's really brave i wish i could be as brave as she is and they're learning from you and being inspired mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah good for you and yeah that I'm, I'm glad you're doing that and setting the example for so many of the rest of us so awesome love that and uh, do you have any favorite questions that you like to ask your guests I do. Uh, I like to always ask them well, if, if they're not an industry person, if they're an artist, I always ask them, was there a time that you almost gave up? And can you kind of tell us the story around that and what allowed you to push through? What, what lessons did you learn from it? And I all, almost always, they say like, yeah, like every day or every month or once a year, you know, most of them say that they're always on the edge of giving up because it's not easy being mm -hmm. a musician. But they also realize that like it's part of them and they can't just ignore that. I know that I went through this when I had my first baby. I was like, no, I'm a mother now. I'm not a musician anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm going to focus on this. And after about six weeks, I was like, I cannot not do music like it is a part of me that is not being fed and I am going to be so bored mm -hmm. if I'm just doing this yeah but you just found a different outlet for it then mm -hmm. yeah that's awesome I like that question what do you ask to the people that are not in the industry oh are, that are in the industry are, yes yeah uh what do I ask to them uh I don't think I have a across the board question for them. I just, I try to interview in a way where we just, 
go where the conversation goes. One thing I do though, is I always ask questions that I have about the particular subject. And sometimes I do stump them. Like I don't, yeah. I had someone on the other day that was like talking about search engine optimization. And I asked her a question and she's like, you know, I don't know the answer to that. Or I had someone on talking about financial planning and I asked her a tax question and she didn't actually know the answer. And I, I mean, I feel bad, but also I, I do want to like explore every possible question that I have because I know that the people on the other end listening probably have those questions. Yeah. Yeah. And it's actually good for uh, the interviewee to be asked questions like that because it, it helps them to learn more about their own fields and, um, mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, why they do what they do, you know, all these, all these things. So I think they, they probably went away, uh, realizing a lot <laughs> after those oh, yeah, interviews. Some of them write me back like within an hour and they're like, I found the answer. <laughs> <laughs> Show notes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. There you go. That's awesome. And, uh, have you had any, uh, favorite playing experiences yourself? Um, I would say, well, one of my favorite ones was when I performed at Dodger Stadium. I was able to sing the national anthem there, and that was a pretty big deal, Ooh. singing in front of 60,000 people. Yeah. So yeah. that was probably the biggest crowd I've ever sung to. Um, I did have an opportunity to sing at some pretty big churches or church events. I sang at an annual conference for um, the Methodist Calpac conference, which is like all the churches in like five Western states or something like that. Wow. That was a pretty big deal. And I was able to sing at, you know, a couple mega churches. So those are probably my, my biggest ones. Um, but, you know, I think some of the most memorable ones are really, or really like more small group things where I was yeah. singing to a group of a hundred people. Mm -hmm. And I, and I was able to talk to them afterward. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that can be just as meaningful, if not more. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, good answer. And uh, is there anything that um, we didn't cover in this interview that you'd like to talk about? Um, I guess like one thing that I always, so I have a, kind of a method called the musician's profit path. It's, I wrote my book around it and I build my programs around it. And the one thing that I see that happens to artists a lot is they try to jump ahead and they don't build that foundation. Instead, they kind of just look and see what other successful artists are doing and try to emulate that. And a lot of times it doesn't work because they haven't built the foundation under it. You know, you do have to spend a little time doing the annoying, boring stuff like building your website and starting your email list and getting your socials organized and understanding what your branding is. And all of that stuff needs to be in place before you start going out there and getting on podcasts or, you know, getting press or any of the things that you see successful artists doing even collaborating with other artists. Like if you don't have your find a foundation in place, people aren't going to look at you as a professional mm -hmm. and you're not going to be able to capitalize any on any kind of, uh, you know, opportunities that come up for you because you don't have anywhere for people to go. Like, for example, I mentioned earlier, you know, people would get on my podcast and I would research them and I would find zero information on them. Mm -hmm. 
So there they lost out. I would just introduce their song, but I wouldn't say anything about them as an artist. Oh, this is, you know, blah, blah, blah from uh, Detroit, Michigan. And, you know, their, their album is called this. And, you know, so much more information could have gotten out to our listeners about them if they would have had a website or even mm -hmm. social media. Absolutely. <laughs> Lots of lost opportunities right there. Yeah, yep. yeah, totally. Very, very correct. And no, thank you for reminding everyone about that. Um, couldn't agree more um, based on what we, we do as well. Um, and um, I might, yeah, just to kind of tag onto that, like I, um, you know, like you're in a position where you, you help a lot of musicians. Um, and, and I, and we do that to some degree as well. I know, and I just, I think musicians are kind of in a place sometimes where they, they just think they, they know what they need. They don't ask a lot of questions of the people around them. And I think if they just learn to ask like, Hey, what do you think about this? Or, you know, d should I do it this way or that way? Um, they could get a lot of more information and, you know, suggestions to get, get off the ground the right way. Um, yeah, I think that's why I've made so much progress in the last six years in my own business is because I seek out people that have done what I want to do. And I, I, I you know, yes. like you said, I asked them questions. I said, do you think this is a good idea? This is what I'm thinking of doing. Yeah. Um, and I invest, you know, I invest with coaches that help with things that I need help with in my business. Yeah. And I think a lot of musicians don't do that. They just fly by the seat of their pants and, you know, try stuff and throw spaghetti at the wall and hope that it sticks kind of thing. Yeah. Instead yeah. of getting a recipe that is going to be successful because it's been tested. Yeah, absolutely. Because we, and, and it's, it's not anyone's real fault. I mean, we're just typically used to being like, you know, in our own worlds, not used to yep. working with other people and having to bounce ideas off of other people. So we're used to just having to fend for ourselves. But, um, but ask around because you can go so much further faster um, if you just learn how to do that and, and you'll get lots of great information for free that could really propel you. Um, and, and sometimes it's not always free, but, but often you can get a really, really good start just by asking around, yeah. Um, yep. But yeah, thanks for, for bringing all that out. Up. Was there something else you were going to tag on to that? No, I, okay. that, yeah, I think that covered everything that I would want to make sure people know, you know, build your foundation and get into a community. Yeah. Because that will help you, like you just said, like have a place to bounce ideas off of and also get kind of the, the mentoring and the role models that you need yeah. of people that are already doing what you want to do. Absolutely. Yeah. And Brie Noble, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Where can we find more information on you? Oh, absolutely. Um, ProfitableMusician.com. That is our website that houses our podcast and all of our resources. Uh, and then the Femme Musician podcast is at F is in female, E is in entrepreneur, musician.com uh, for you ladies who want to be inspired by other female artists. And we have um, the free group that I mentioned earlier, the female indie musician community um, that was actually set up for a women of substance community a long time ago. So you can get into that by going to wscommunity.com. And that is a free Facebook group of over 4,000 women. So it's a great place to network and 
can pretty much guarantee you'll find people in your local area there too with 4,000 women and be able to also just ask questions. Yeah. So many people are in there like, you know, asking things like, you know, my, my producer said this, or, you know, this happened to me. What do you think? Has this ever happened to you? Or I got this email, you know, is this real or is this a scam? You know, it's, it's a great place to, to find out things like that. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate your taking the time. And you are welcome. That was really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Great to know you. <laughs> all right. Have you a good too. one. Marie. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you'll leave ratings and reviews for us wherever you're listening from. Visit themusiciansventure.com for more information on upcoming guests, show notes, and ways to send us your topic suggestions. The Musicians Venture Podcast is hosted by Allison M., recorded at Podcast Town in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, produced by Shannon Coulard, with theme music written and performed by Mike Neumeyer. Thanks again. <laughs>